Well, good morning, church family. Good morning, the King's people. I have a fun update for us this morning. Uh, last week, uh, it was a privilege for me to be with you, and across all campuses, we heard from Wally Kulikoff, uh, one of our longtime missionaries, about what God is doing through Mission Eurasia, as well as thinking about what our other uh, partners and missionaries are doing in Ukraine and the surrounding nations. We heard about uh, camps turned into refugee welcome centers, about local churches in Ukraine uh, becoming soup kitchens and safe havens and places where all are welcome to walk in new life in Christ. We invited you to take part in a special offering last Sunday above and beyond our regular giving. And this morning, uh, I want to celebrate your generosity as the king's people. It's a joy and privilege to join in what, is, what God is doing uh, to extend blessing to all nations, all peoples around the world. 2 Corinthians 9.12 says, This service you are performing is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. What God gives us that we are generous in sharing with others returns back in gratitude to God. Are you ready for the total of our WBC, TBC congregations giving in the special offering? Oh, come on, that was lame. Are you ready? $166,811.83. We praise God together for his moving and working through us. You know, the amount is incredible and will greatly assist our missionaries and partners as they become hubs extending, extending compassion, care, and the grace of Christ to others in the midst of this war. But I think it's also notable that over 400 separate households took part in this offering. It came from all generations of our church family. Gifts of all sizes. We all have varying abilities. But families and individuals prayed, sometimes encouraging one another in giving, and the Holy Spirit moved through our church to bless others in their suffering. On behalf of our partners on the front lines, thank you for being the king's people. Our partners are stepping up to care for the most vulnerable, and we join them in living out Christ's reminder that we are to be the light of the world. His church, his people, stand and shine even brighter in the darkness of disaster. No circumstance stops the Lord of all nations from working in and through his church. 
Amen. Um, I want to remind you that our uh, that your uh, regular giving to TVC supports and sustains our missionaries and partners a year in and year out. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, you can find stories and updates of our Ukraine partners at wheatonbible.org Ukraine. Uh, you can also go to wheatonbible.org give uh, to to uh, give in support of our, our church uh, or give through the offering boxes at the back of the worship center or, or mail to the church office. Um, one final note, uh, there are several members of our church family who are from Ukraine. And one family, Christine and her family, wanted to express their thank you to our church family. And so uh, if we have a picture here. Uh, please feel free to pick up one of the cookies they have baked and placed in the atrium of our church this morning. I want to uh, also, as we, as we lead into the sermon, wish you a happy Father's Day. Uh, I'm grateful uh, to be a dad. Uh, this is a picture of my family, our growing family, uh, three sons, a daughter, uh, spouses and a granddaughter. My wife Kelly is here uh, this morning, and so she has endured me for 41 years. Come, come next week, and we are grateful uh, to be parents. Well, let's continue in our series in the Book of Matthew. The sermon. Uh, of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you have your notebook with you, feel free to follow along in the text to jot down notes. And this morning, I want to take a look at, at three key ideas, uh, but among them, uh, seeing that Jesus gives us the fuller picture, that he calls us to test our inner motives as well as our outward actions. And he calls us to become more people. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. If you want to know what picture perfect looks like, Fulfilling everything that's right in God's eyes, look at Jesus. If you want to know what living out the spirit, the heart, the intent of God's commands is like, listen to and look at Jesus. He's the embodiment of everything that honors and pleases our Heavenly Father. The writings of the prophets predict and point to the coming Messiah, Emmanuel which means God with us. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is the expression of divine truth and life packed into a human body. Listen to these scriptures 
as, as we follow along. And, and we see that uh, John and his writings, the writer to, to the Hebrews, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, they all include in the opening chapter a clarification of Jesus' identity. That before we think about how should we then live, we need to understand who has come and lived among us. From John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. This profound statement, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The, the word took on a human body and moved into our neighborhood. No one has ever seen God in his fullness, in his glory, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, as in closest relationship with the Father, has revealed him, has made him known. In Hebrews chapter 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, and we have their writings recorded on paper and preserved for us. But in these last days, he was spoken to us in animation by his Son. The Son is the radiance, the shining forth, of God's glory. The Son is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. From Colossians chapter 1, the Son is the image, the, the visible uh, icon, illustration of the invisible God. All things have been created by him and for him. That's a whole sermon in itself. And in him all things hold together. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus made peace between us and God through his blood shed on the cross. So who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Jesus is God fleshed out, revealed, radiated, represented, illustrated bringing into focus and fulfillment God's expression of himself to humanity. The beginning of Luke's gospel includes this story. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, Don't be afraid, you've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the power of the Most High will 
overshadow you. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. And no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary Antoinette. May your word to me be fulfilled in my life. And so Jesus assures us, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished, as God has said. Isaiah 48 tells us, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's God's word that stands. And while we may presume to examine and assess it, to decide what we think of it, in fact, it will weigh and judge us. And so Jesus urges us to hear and to heed it carefully. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands to others will be called great in the kingdom. The final book of the Bible similarly cautions us. In Revelation 22, we read, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll that if anyone adds to them, well, what God has said is okay, but but I need to add to it. I need to improve upon it. God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. If anyone takes away from the words of God in this prophecy, God will take away from that person his share in the tree of life in the holy city. And then Jesus humbles us all in saying, in his message on the mountain. I'm telling you the truth. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the best of your religious leaders, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have come as a shock to Jesus' hearers. Those regarded as most pious, most scholarly, most exemplary, Jesus is saying, cannot stand in God's presence by their own merit. So how am I presuming I will stand? Psalm 24 challenges us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then it asks this question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Comes the answer, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart 
who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from their Savior. In all of this, we see that Jesus is the living illustration of the end goal of all of God's commandments. Jesus is the standard. We look to him to see divine truth and clarity. And we come to him for mercy and healing. Only he can wash us clean. Only he can make us new. Jesus alone reconciles us with the Father, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so all that Jesus goes on to tell us we are to do, Jesus himself embodies in his disposition and his actions before God and among fellow humans. Jesus completes and illustrates the law, and the prophets. In his message on the mountain, Jesus goes on to tell us how vitally important our inner motives are as well as our outward actions in our relationships with each other. He calls us to test our inner motives and to assess our outer actions so that our relationships affirm the worth of others rather than dehumanize them, rather than devalue them. When I was in um, junior high, I had a friend of mine named Dana. And she was one of those people that you would call a Jesus freak. It was the Jesus movement in the 70s, you know, time way past. And I was the skeptic. But as a few years went on and we were into high school, it seemed as if we'd traded places. Through another friend who invited me to... to uh, a church camp where I heard and understood the gospel, I, I had come to, to trust in Christ and follow him. But over the years, my friend Dana had drifted away from Christ. And I don't know the circumstances, but I remember a conversation in one of our classrooms in high school, my junior year of high school, where Dana said to me, you know, God is just a big egotist. He wants other people to praise him and obey his commands. I'm not following that anymore. And it set me thinking, is Dana right? Is God simply a big egotist? And then in my 17-year-old mind, I began thinking. I started thinking about the Ten Commandments. You know, 
Have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourselves idols. Don't use my name carelessly. Keep the Sabbath as a day of rest and worship. I thought maybe, maybe Dana's on to something. But then I continued down the list. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't speak falsely and ill about others. Don't covet your neighbor's house or spouse or property or privileges. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. It's no skin off God's nose if we cheat on each other, if we lie, if we slander each other, if we murder. It's no skin off God's nose if we do those things. In lust, he loves us. In lust, he really does care for us. In lust, his commandments are not given to us to restrict us, but his commandments are, which historically they are, given to a people coming out of slavery so they can learn how to live in freedom as God's sons and daughters. And so Jesus invites us to think about God's commands in a whole different way. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever says to a brother or sister, Raka, now, I don't know about you, but I haven't come across that word recently on Facebook. The word Raka is is um, an Aramaic term that essentially means airhead, empty head. Jesus says, whoever says to another person, you know, you're a fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. We tell ourselves, sticks and stones may break my bones, but but Proverbs 12.18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Just a, a brief exercise. Can you recall the sweetest words you've ever heard from another human being? What are the sweetest, mo- most affirming, most reassuring Words spoken to you by someone else. When I was in, um, I believe it was uh, second grade, it was the time of the landing on the moon. 
And my second grade teacher, Mrs. Feeney, said to me as we lined up to go out um, the, the door at the end of the day, she looked at me and she winked and she said, Bill, you're my Neil Armstrong. Now, I took that as, you know, I'm looking to you for heroic things. A friend of mine said, you know, Bill, she could have just mean you're in outer space. But I'm taking it the former way, and I'm running with that. Whether you remember the sweetest words or not, I'm pretty sure that you can't forget the most cutting words you've heard from another person. And I'd be willing to bet they were not from a stranger. We often excuse our anger, our arrogant accusations, our dismissive judgments of other people as no big deal. I mean, after all, it's not like I murdered the guy. But Jesus tells us our tongues can make us guilty of assault with a deadly weapon. Pastor Eric reminded us last week that we often see things in mere image. We often have a skewed or reversed view of things. Uh, to use a, another illustration, it's like uh, we're living life in a store where all the price tags have been switched. We go to the jewelry counter and see a Rolex for $3. Uh, but... Uh, $550 on an ordinary pair of shorts. We often fail to see and value situations properly. We often fail to see and value fellow humans as they deserve. We're so far from God in our assessment of the weight of words because we simply don't regard fellow humans as having the dignity and worth our Lord tells us is inherent in every human being. So here's Jesus' radical directive. When you show up to church and you're getting ready to uh, walk to the offering box and put your gift in, and you remember there that a brother or sister has something against you. Somehow you've offended them, insulted them, wounded them. Stop right there. Press pause on your giving. Go First, and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly. You know, it's interesting in this passage, Jesus says, if, if you realize you've offended someone else, they've hurt you, go to them. It's your move. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us the reverse. If, if um, someone else has offended you, 
if you see that they are in sin, guess what? It's your move. Go to them. Talk to them in private. Appeal to them over the matter. Blessed are the peacemakers. We see the polarization in our culture. We see partitions in our neighborhoods. We see broken fellowship in our churches. And they're evidence that we don't take Jesus' words for what they are. The truth that would bring us healing. That would do us good. Jesus goes on in in the Ten Commandments. You've heard, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, it's not just staying out of another spouse's bed that is at stake. I tell you that if you look at another spouse lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've already devalued those sacred relationships of commitment. We live in a culture that scoffs at the idea of guilt for nearly any sexual expression. My body, my freedom, I'll do what I want. Don't get in my business. But we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's God's will that you avoid sexual immorality, that each of you learn to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like those who don't know God, but it's the Lord's will that you should not wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Anyone who rejects this instruction is not rejecting human teaching, but the words of God. Therefore, flee from sexual immorality, we read in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, The NFL season is about to start up. And you will at points see uh, quarterbacks fleeing from 320-pound defensive linemen. They are intent on avoiding the capture and demolition that that uh, defender is bringing upon them. Scripture tells us in the same way, flee from sexual immorality. Don't you know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies as well as uh, your hearts and your tongues. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Like a surgery to remove a lethal cancer, sexual unfaithfulness, like other sins in our lives, may require decisive 
even radical intervention to eradicate what threatens to cripple or kill us. Speaking of divorce, Jesus said, anyone who divorces his wife, uh, you've been told, must give her a certificate of divorce. Not simply sending her away, but giving her a legal standing as a person who's been freed from the marriage. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife makes her the victim of adultery. In Malachi 2, we read these words uh, as a warning to callous husbands. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings. You say, why, Lord? Comes the answer. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of the marriage covenant. In other words, it seemed to be practice at that time that uh, many men in Israel were trading the wives of their youth for younger trophy wives. Has not the Lord made you both? You belong to him in body and spirit. In these words, the man who divorces his wife does violence to the one he's called to protect, says the Lord. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Jesus' words about divorce, saying, don't use divorce as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous by being legal. Legal cover cannot mask moral failure before God. Failing to be loyal, failing to be faithful, failing to protect a spouse in marriage. Are you overwhelmed yet? Eric, I wish next time that I preach you could give me a longer passage with more difficult and challenging topics. Um, But Jesus continues in talking about oath and promises. Again, you've heard, do not break your oath. But I tell you, Don't swear an oath at all. Don't swear by heaven or God's throne or by the earth, by the holy city, uh, because all things belong to the great king. Don't bring his name into it when you may or may not be faithful. And don't even swear by your own head because you can't turn even one hair white, or black, unless you go to Walgreens in the hair coloring section. Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes, if you mean yes, or no, if you mean no. 
anything beyond this leads you into the snares of the evil one. Again from Eugene Peterson, hollow words did not become true by embellishing them with religious lace. Simply speak truthfully and do what you say. Um, this next slide that you see, all of these slides uh, are taken from a book published in the Middle East by one of our, our partners, the Bible Society of Egypt. And they published a book called um, Words That Change the World. And it's a compilation of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, illustrated with poignant pictures for the hearts and minds of Middle Eastern culture. And I love this picture that on one side shows all of our oaths and promises and swear by this and promise that Jesus says, la, Arabic for no. If it's yes, if it's sa, just say sa. If it's la, if it's no, just say la. Jesus says, you've heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Eugene Peterson translates the next phrase. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. In Jesus' day, occupying Roman soldiers had the right to demand local citizens carry their armor or supplies for up to the distance of a mile. Jesus' advice, at the end of the carry, the soldiers commanded you to do, say to him, you know, I'm happy to lighten your burden. I can go further to serve you. So he tells us, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You see, you've heard, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who mistreat you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise indiscriminately on the evil and the good. He sends down his rain to refresh the righteous 
and the unrighteous. Love your enemies. It'll drive them nuts. Or just maybe draw them to our Heavenly Father. Jesus concludes saying, If you merely love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Eugene Peterson translates, If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Grow up. You are sons and daughters of God. Now live like it. Live out your new identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father Well, we talked about um, Jesus embodying the bigger picture, that he calls us to test our motives and actions. And I want us to conclude by thinking about how we become more people. Now, you might misunderstand me. Uh, You might be thinking Jesus is looking for more people. You know, um, like me on Facebook. But I don't think Jesus is talking here about a quantitative change. Jesus is not looking for more people. He's looking for more people. Jesus is looking for a qualitative change that we would become people who do more. If you only do what everyone does, what are you doing more than others? Rock artist Dana Key wrote years ago, I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to live a lukewarm life, because I want to light up the night with your everlasting light. I don't want to live a casual Christian life. I want to be one of your more people. You know, Pastor Eric encouraged us last week Um, that we want to avoid two ditches as we think about the Sermon of the Mount. One is that we would fall into the ditch of legalism, saying, it's my obligation to do all these things. I got to buck up and measure up. I got to toe the line. The other is uh, the opposite ditch of license and saying, Well, whatever Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, 
Well, I'm covered by his forgiveness anyway, so uh, what's the point in trying to live up to this? I'm reminded that religion is most succinctly spelled D-O, do, obligation. But Christianity is succinctly spelled D-O-N-E, done. What Christ has done on our behalf, what he credits to us by his merits, And that he calls us to live our lives as a thank you back to him in return. It prompts us to move from being tainted with transaction. Lord, I'll do this for you, but I'm expecting this in return to purer adoration. Father, you are good to me. I want to enjoy and please you. I want to imitate your goodness. And so the Ukrainian family that provided the plate of cookies originally had had come to our church and said, you know, maybe we could have a bake sale to raise money for Ukraine. And our church leadership talked about it and for various reasons decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to ask people to give, not expecting something in return. And so Christina and her family said, well, if our church family has been so generous to our people, What else could we do but fire up our bakery and make loads of cookies and bring them to our church family and say, just take and eat and enjoy. Thank you. We want to celebrate God's goodness and we want to give our appreciation to you. I think that's what God is looking for. In our lives. That more and more. We would offer up the cookies. Because we're compelled by his goodness to us. His love for us. And we simply want to follow our. Heavenly father. Who indiscriminately. Shines his sun on the good and the evil and gives refreshing rain to the nice and the nasty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to become a more person. And I'm guessing there might be others 
here as well, that we want to live like the king's people. Help us to look to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to lean into your mercy, your love, your empowering. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. But we ask you to shine your light in our lives and let it refract through us. Lord, help us to participate in the kingdom of heaven coming near. Let your light shine through us that even hard hearts around us would be turned upward to praise you our perfect heavenly Father. Lord, we honor you this Father's Day. In the name of Jesus, your clear expression to us. Amen.